0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1401.
1: Stay hungry. Look for the next thing. Don't get too comfortable.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. everyone who knows me knows i'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new i'm a huge fan of covercraft floor mats i've protected my vehicle with their products for decades want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new it's easy with covercraft floor mats They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier plush and Berber custom floor mats, you'll also find... Cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes. With easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats, Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell a market car's yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm a revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Chuck Moreland. Hey, Chuck, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: Absolutely. I'm strapped in. I got my my harness on, Mark.
0: Okay. I'll try to keep the car on the track for us today. Cool. Chuck Marland is the founder and CEO of Elephant Racing, a company he started in 2002. Elephant Racing is the leading manufacturer of suspension products for the Porsche aftermarket. Under Chuck's leadership, the company has successfully developed and marketed innovative products that are a commercial success worldwide. And in 2018, he founded Vaughn a company focused on a hybrid aftermarket performance system for Porsche models. Vonnen Systems fits an electric motor between the engine and transmission on stock 991 generation Carrera prototypes that adds power and torque. Plans are in place to offer this system on older Porsche models as well. I'm very excited to learn about this, Chuck, because as uh, you learned from me when we met at Rensport, I'm a huge Porsche fanatic. I've had a bunch of 911s in my garage. I've got a older one in the garage right now, but I'm very excited to share uh, this new company with my listeners and talk Porsches with you today. I told our listeners, though, a little bit about you. Before I jump into the questions, would you take a moment to share a little more about this passion you have for automobiles and especially for making Porsches operate and go very fast?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. I've been a car guy since my whole life. I've been since I was a kid and uh, a Porsche fanatic, really, from a very early age. And uh, I started my career in high tech. But as you say, in 2002, I changed out of that and founded Elephant Racing Uh, and, you know, started as a one-man operation and been growing it over the 17, 18 years that we've been in business to expand. Started out building racing parts for Porsche, air-cooled Porsches which are definitely my passion, but we've since grown that to provide products for the latest model and everything in between Porsche cars. And we've expanded out of racing too. We still do race parts, but we also do maintenance and restoration, build our own line of shock absorbers, basically everything to do with The suspension we provided. And most recently, we have launched a a new venture, uh, Vonin, which is developing performance hybrid systems, which are retrofitable into Porsche cars. And this is absolutely an exciting new space for us.
0: I'm excited to learn a lot more about this. Uh, As I shared with you at Rensport, I've got an older Porsche, an 87 Turbo, that I've had for about 10 years. And Uh, I was thinking of you the other day, knowing we were going to be having this talk because I took the car for a drive and went around a corner and it's kind of got a couple of little creaks and groans and stuff. It's an older car, right? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I need to uh, talk to these guys about some new suspension parts for this car. I don't drive it super hard. It's kind of a toy car. But, uh, you know, cars get a little older and they need a little love. And I know that your company provides a lot of love for older Porsches, but I'm very excited about this new love for newer Porsches. And we're going to learn a lot more about that as we get into the questions. But first, I want to ask you, Chuck, for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your success over the years. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, I know you love to drive. So, Chuck, take the wheel.
1: So, the quote that uh, I would go to is, stay hungry. And really, you know, various points in my career, things have been comfortable. But a friend of mine said to me one time, Life isn't supposed to be comfortable. And he was absolutely right. So I've had an opportunity multiple times to sort of push the reset button and do something different and move in a different direction, take some risks. And uh, it kind of comes back to that stay hungry. Look for the next thing. Don't get too comfortable.
0: You know, it's funny you say that. I was just listening to a podcast this morning where the host talked about that same thing is don't keep repeating the same success. Keep moving to some other different level, raising the bar a little bit higher. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I learned that from uh, decades of working in retail and selling products and creating new innovative products. And I, I discovered that if you sit back and rest on your laurels and go, well, we've got a good line of stuff here. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. That is the kiss of death because there's too much competition. Someone will come along and just sweep you right off your feet.
1: Somebody who is younger and faster and hungrier than you is coming along.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's just like being on the racetrack. You can never relax, but of course, you know that. And I want to ask you this question before I jump into the next thing here. Elephant. Elephant racing. Why? Right.
1: Well, Porsches have their trunk in the front, just like an elephant. I love it. Which, you know, I, I've told that story for years, uh, but it was several years after I started the company that uh, I had a gentleman over from Sweden who was interviewing me for the uh, the Swedish equivalent of the PCA magazine. And I had never occurred to me that the trunk in the front thing does not translate to other languages, right? So he, I told him this and he politely chuckled but he didn't get it at all yeah and the two of us were i so saw he of course he spoke broken english i don't speak any swedish and we're walking around uh you know i'm trying to k- explain to him what an elephant is and i'm swinging my nose like a trunk in front of my or, or my arm in front of my nose um, he went we back and back. said
0: that crazy american i don't know what he was trying to tell me with that thing flopping <laughs> around in front of him but uh and it reminds me of when uh, Chevrolet launched the Nova and they sent it down to South America and they forgot to think about the Spanish language, meaning <laughs> Nova means no go. So uh, yeah, you got to be a little careful when you're dealing internationally, but I like it. I think it's funny. It's cool. Uh, you had shared that with me when I met, but I just wanted my listeners to hear it because I, I think it's great. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's have you share a story that instigated this passion you have for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were going to be a car guy?
1: You know, there's there's so many, uh, but there's one story that kind of stands out in my mind. Uh, I was probably about maybe six or seven years old, and I uh, was out for a drive with my grandparents. Uh, we were this was in New Jersey at the time. We were headed down to uh, the shore, is what they call it in New Jersey, and uh, probably 45 mile an hour. It was two lane, you know, one lane each direction, and some reasonably heavy traffic. I'm sitting in the back seat. Grandparents are in the front. And I hear this sound behind us, and it's this noise, and it's this whirring air sound like a fan or something. Very unusual, but it's winding up, and it was this car that was straining, and I kind of jumped up. It got, got my attention, and I see these two cars come flying past us. The second one was a 911. I knew what it was. I mean, I'd seen them before. But the thing was there was oncoming traffic and it was bearing down and these guys were straining the engines you could hear them revving they were just and at the very last second before there was going to be a head on collision basically right in front of us this 911 drops in right in front of my in front of the car we were driving and my grandfather didn't say a thing. My grandmother let out this gasp of that exasperation, and she says, "That's how they make angels." And oh, oh, to me, as a, as a young kid, it, it really impressed upon me because, you know, here were some people. These guys were out, and they were just they were, you know, mixing it up in traffic, and they were being reckless, but but they were having a lot of fun, and they were using these cars not as transportation but as uh, like a piece of sporting goods equipment. I mean, they were using them as uh, as tools to have fun. And that's what really came across. But the, just the whole thing, the sound of the car, the unique look of it, just stood out in my mind. And uh, it was very, very
0: inspirational. So what year of 9 would that have been at the time?
1: Well, that car had to be, it had to be a late 60s car.
0: So a two liter, maybe a 2.2, yeah. 2, something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, right in there.
0: Yeah, well, they sound awesome. I mean, there's nothing like the whine of a 2 or a 2.2 liter 911 motor uh, to get you a little fired up. So.
1: <laughs> very unique sound. Doesn't sound like other cars. And I, I still remember the way that car sounded when it came up behind us and was just winding it out.
0: Yeah, I, we had a friend that lived up the street from us. I grew up in Southern California and he was a car dealer. He sold Chevrolets. In fact, sold me by very first car. And I uh, remember one day he brought home a trade-in. And it was, this was in 1970 and it was a 9-11. It was sepia brown. I'll never forget because he took me for a ride in that thing. And we were out front playing, you know, back in those days, no TV, no computer. So we were out playing football out in the street, right? And uh, all of a sudden this car comes around the corner and he comes jamming up the street and all of us kids part the sea, Uh let him go by. And I just went. Uh, and I knew about him before, but I hadn't been that close or gotten a ride in one. And I just went, oh, Mr. Brown, please, could I have a ride in this Porsche? And uh oh, yeah, I ran home. Dad, dad, you got to buy this car. And of course, you know, my parents were like, nah, I don't think so. But uh huh, yeah, nothing like the sound of those. Well, let's talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you faced along the way. And I like this question, not so much to drum up maybe some pain from the past, but more so what did it teach you? Because If you're not pushing boundaries, and you said earlier, you take some risk, you know, you're probably never failing. You're probably never moving ahead either. So walk us through one of those times and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your business, in your life, in your career.
1: So yeah, before I got into automotive, I was in the high tech space, and that was really the early part of my career. And so I'm here in Silicon Valley. That's why I'm here. And I actually launched another company before Elephant Racing. This was in '98, I think. I founded it, and we were basically doing what today what we call cloud-based computing. Ah, oh, cloud. Okay, yeah. And you know, we were really we were quite a few years, maybe 15 years ahead of our our time. Um, and uh, you know, I ran that business for about four years, and ultimately, uh, you know, we got into the dot-com bust era. Uh, We needed to raise some more money and we were unsuccessful in doing so because uh, money had all dried up and nobody was really investing in high tech companies of the sort at the time. And so ended up, I had to exit that, We managed to get the company acquired, not uh, in a particularly profitable way. In fact, I ended up losing money on the venture. But uh, at that time is when I made the transition or pivoted into automotive, which was something for me that was, you know, had been a passion my whole life. Not something I had done professionally, so you know I was trying to learn my way. I knew I knew quite a bit about cars, but I didn't know anything about the business for sure. But I I went for it because I wanted to. <laughs> and uh, so you know, what did I learn from that? I I guess um, don't be afraid to fail. Um, you know, in my experience, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. That certainly was the case here. I, I think people tend to regret the things they they didn't do as opposed to the things that they did, whether they even if they have failed at those things, uh, you learn so much from them that you can look back and say, well, in this case, uh, starting that company, it ultimately didn't uh, yield the results I was hoping, but I don't know that I would undo it because it was quite a learning experience for
0: me. Well, and look where it landed you as well. And it's, it's hard to see that at the time, of course, when something doesn't go your way. But it's nice when you can look back and go, well, if that had succeeded, where would I be today? Elephant wouldn't exist. Bonin wouldn't exist. I might be doing fine, but maybe I wouldn't be as happy working in the field that I'm passionate about. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a curious thing. But uh, I know that when you talk to a lot of people, and you hear this when people talk to elderly people or people at the end of their life, the things that they regret are the things they never tried. Exactly. It's never, th- never <laughs> things that they tried and they goofed up. I mean, you never hear people talking about that. It's, well, I wish I had, shoulda, woulda, coulda. So I'm glad that happened for you uh, and ended up being so successful. Let's talk about your first really special vehicle. That first car that you got that you went, ah, I finally got this thing. And maybe share a memory you have about that special ride.
1: Sure. So I've had a lot of cars that I would consider to be very special. Um, but perhaps the one that it really first I felt when I acquired it was special was it was a 1973 914. And I was a pretty young guy at the time. I was probably about 20 years old bought it used um you know it was it was uh rode hard and put up wet it had uh had some miles on it and showed some wear but but it was a Porsche and it was a real sports car for me I remember going to pick it up I, I bought it used directly from the owner and uh, a buddy of mine and myself drove out to to his house to pick up the car and the two of us Drove it back and I think, uh, thinking back, it was the first Porsche I had ever driven and I ended up buying it. Right. So, uh, we're driving home and I'm a cocky 20 year old. I, I think I know how to drive a lot better than I actually do. And I'm loose in a sports car. I made a very aggressive lane change maneuver, which sent that car into a pirouette that just spun spun around two and a half times, ended up, well, when we stopped, we were uh, in the oncoming traffic lane pointing in the other direction. I drove, pulled over the side of the road and just, you know, gripped the wheel and just caught my breath for about five minutes before we we moved on. But it was an experience that really taught me to respect the car. Um, You know, a 914 being a mid-engine car, all the masses in the center. And once you get those things spinning, it's kind of like the ice skater that pulls their arms in, and all of a sudden they start accelerating, right? And so that's that's how this car was. Yeah, that was a special car and uh, pretty much uh, a special uh, introduction to it for me. Uh, it, it, again, it got my respect, and it had it from that point forward.
0: That's got to be an aggressive move to make a 914 spin around ice. Holy cow. That's it. I had one of those. I had a 73 2.0 uh, for a short period of time. I had this uh, brainchild that I buy it for my son in his first car and uh, brought it home. And my wife said, that doesn't look like a 911 because I had a 911. I had a lot of them. And I said, oh, I thought this would be great for Blake. And she's like, uh, I don't think so. Where's the airbag? <laughs> well, they didn't have them back then. Uh, no, I don't think that's a good idea. But you know what? He had some fun driving that car. Uh, we ended up fixing it up and uh, selling it, and making a little money off of it, and got him something a little safer. But uh, I really liked that car. I had a friend in high school that got one, and he used to let me drive it all the time. It was a '72. It was lime green. I remember the color was just spectacular, and I loved driving that car. It yeah, was they had
1: some crazy
0: colors back in those days. Seventies, so cool. yeah. yeah, lovely colors, absolutely. Is there a seller's remorse story in your life, a car you wish you'd sold and let go, but you wish you still had it, I should say?
1: You know, uh, this one might be a surpriser because I've had a lot of really cool cars, but my very first car was a 67 Pontiac Le Mans. And it was, uh, it, was a, it was a beater. I, I paid $300 for that car and, you know, it really, really wasn't much of a car. And subsequent to that, uh, I bought a, a Mustang and then I bought a Camaro and, you know, then I progressed through into the Porsches. But I got rid of that Le Mans probably six to 12 months after initially purchasing it. And uh, I had already bought I had bought this Mustang. And, you know, my passion, my love had switched over to the Mustang. And this poor Le Mans sat in the driveway at my parents' house and uh, was neglected. And the thing wasn't running right. And finally, I, I called one of these sort of tow away services where they take your car for free. And I let it, the guy came and got it with a flatbed and he he hooked a hook on it and winched it up onto this flatbed. And I think it had a couple of flat tires and it was getting dragged up there. It was quite a sad sight. But, you know, in hindsight, if I was going to have another muscle car, I don't want a Mustang, I don't want a Camaro or any of those kind of 60s muscle car. If I was going to have one, it would be like at Lamont's because it's a it's an unusual car in terms of of that muscle car era and i mean i know the gtos were based on it and all that but that car you know set up right today would be would be really cool and uh and i really wish i had it and you know i guess partly because it was my very first car uh, that's a big piece of it too
0: absolutely my parents bought one of those brand new in the late 60s it could have been the same year i might have been a 69 but i'm not quite sure but I do remember this. It was a big problem. Uh, that car must have been built on a Friday when, uh, hunting season was going on, as my dad used to say, because the first year it was in the shop so much. My, remember my parents got so upset with it. My dad used to call it not the Le Mans, but the Le Mans, L-E-M-O-N. <laughs> and they finally traded it in for a Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser station wagon, which was, uh, proved to be a much better car. But you know, you get, get a bad one once in a while, but. Um, It kind of tainted my thoughts on Pontiacs my whole life. It's really funny how when you're a little kid and you see your parents upset about something, and they weren't very wealthy, so it was a lot of money for them buying that car brand new. And my mom kind of wanted something a little sporty, and my dad, "Eh, okay, we'll get that because it was kind of a sporty family car. You know when you think about it, Uh, but it was uh, it wasn't the right one for us. That's for sure. Well, I would love for you to share a lot more with my listeners about Elephant Racing, all the things that your company does and provides, and also more so about Vaughn very excited to hear about this new venture that you guys are doing here. Anything that can uh, improve performance, I think is a pretty cool thing. So take it away.
1: Well, I'll, I'll take a moment to dive into the Vaughn system. So basically what we've done is we've developed a performance hybrid system that's retrofittable into Porsche cars. And uh, the concept is, uh, we want to uh, create a game-changing technology that can add uh, tremendous power to the existing drivetrain. So the existing gasoline drivetrain remains intact, and we supplement it with an additional. Currently, it's 150 horsepower uh, hybrid electric assist.
0: 150 horsepower, you add? Absolutely right. And Holy so, how
1: that's on top of whatever the baseline car is. So. You know, if it's a a base model, a modern 991, you're looking at 350 horsepower moving to 500. If it's a GT3 or a turbo, you know, your baseline is starting substantially higher than that. In the case of the current GT3s, you're looking at, you know, 500 horsepower-ish moving to 650. So you can take a, a modern GT3 and move it into GT2 RS performance territory. Baseline 991 can move into GT3 level territory in terms of performance. You know what we've done with it was was kind of uh, cool in terms of the technology. We experimented with some different uh, hybrid solutions uh, prior to coming up with this one. But ultimately, what we did was we put a motor, a very thin but large diameter motor, between the engine and the transmission. So the motor is essentially in the form factor of the flywheel, and it replaces the flywheel. So think of it as uh, a motorized or electric flywheel that can add torque directly to the crankshaft and add power directly to the crankshaft and what's really excellent about that in terms of performance enhancement is that we're on the input shaft side of the transmission so we can take advantage of the gear multiplication of the transmission we can get the same performance enhancement in every gear wow
0: you got my attention that's cool And,
1: of course, uh, performance hybrids uh, have been out for a while, and we've been inspired by cars like the Porsche 918 Hybrid Spyder, the McLaren P1. These are performance cars that are absolutely at the top of the spectrum. Our thought was, gee, can we take that same basic technology and make that accessible to a a more garden variety Porsche 911 and uh, raise it up to uh, supercar, near supercar level? That's what we really set out to do, and, and that's exactly what it is. Because of the nature of the cars, it was quite a challenge in that they are lightweight sports cars. And so it was critical to us not to add significant weight to the car or upset the handling dynamics of it. Mind you, the background is a suspension company, so we were extremely focused on, on not messing up the handling of the car. And so keeping the system compact and very lightweight were key to our design objectives. These modern cars, of course, are packaged extremely densely from the factory, and there was no provision in there to put in things like electric motors, batteries, or motor controllers, or anything of the sort. And so, it was uh, it was real engineering challenge to get it into the car and have it integrated cleanly, so that you know you don't pop the hood and see some Frankenstein monster. Lump of batteries up there or something like that. So, you know, our goal was really to integrate it in a way that it was very seamless in the car. One that, you know, I could toss you the keys, not tell you the car was converted and you could go for a drive and not really know anything was up, except you'd wonder why the car was so fast and powerful. That's the way it
0: has come out. Wow. Uh, impressive. Incredible. Uh, Mind boggling. Uh, really, especially when you start, start talking about that kind of extra power and torque added to a vehicle. Because most of the times, you know, I'll say the olden days, oh, I chipped my car and I got another 10 horsepower, 20 horsepower, maybe 50, you know, you never know. But this is a whole nother extreme level. And of course, starting with Porsche, do you have plans on extending this to other marks?
1: Most definitely. And in fact, one of the, the biggest elements of the design was putting that motor inside or between the engine and the transmission, it's largely housed inside the bell housing of the transmission virtually every single car has a very similar layout. It has an engine, a transmission, there's a bell housing between it that houses a flywheel, a clutch, or a torque converter. And so there's a similar space is available in virtually every drivetrain. And that doesn't matter if it's a front engine, rear drive, a front engine, you know, transverse mounted front engine, front wheel drive. Four-wheel drive, it doesn't matter. Um, so the same basic solution that we put together can be ported to all those different platforms. And so we see flexibility beyond the Porsche space. Of course, we went for the 911 first, and we're able to support the, the C2 versions, the C4 versions, and also the, the mid-engine cars, the Boxers and the Caymans But, you know, we see Porsche as not where we're going, but rather where we're starting. And we certainly have plans to go beyond that after we get a little further along in the Porsche space.
0: Well, congratulations. Absolutely brilliant. And talk a little bit about elephant racing. And and maybe we can start by, how could you help a guy like me with an old 32-year-old Porsche? It's a turbo, but compared to modern-day cars, you know, not that fast, but certainly is a special car for me.
1: Right. Well, from the elephant racing side, of course, we can help you out with the suspension on that car. Uh, It's not going to make it accelerate any faster, but certainly it's going to handle a lot better and be a lot more rewarding to drive. The suspension's original now, it's going to be worn out, and just bringing it back to the original spec is going to make huge improvements in the performance of the ride quality. But we've got a deep catalog of parts to raise that performance to another level, and we can bring some more modern design products and methodologies into play that, for example, we digressive valve shocks, which provide a better compromise between ride quality performance and what would be in the car from the factory so we can give you some help there but taking it back to your your comments about the power bonnet system is currently available for hybrid system is available for uh, modern cars which is 997.2 and later but we are fast in the process now of developing it for the air cooled cars like yours Really? Ah. Absolutely. So we can put uh, a similar 150 horsepower addition into your turbo. And I don't know if your turbo is stock or if it's been already built My car
0: is completely stock, completely stock, yeah.
1: So one of the nice things about that is you can leave that stock. So you're going to have the stock reliability, stock fuel mileage. So, you know, with so many performance upgrades that you do to these cars, you end up compromising drivability and fuel economy and such. And while you may only be deep into the throttle once in a while, you're going to end up paying for that in terms of fuel economy all the time or in terms of drivability all the time. With the hybrid system, one of the things that's so cool about it is that you can actually turn it off if you want to, but you, you won't want to. But the system, it's, it's programmed so that uh, it adds power when you need it, but it basically, it's just in the background when you don't need it in fact we call it shadow drive and that's part of why it kind of sits back until it's called into use
0: that's cool well i was going to ask you where that terminology came from you beat me to the answer because at your website which is fantastic by the way it's fun it's got some great videos on it of porsches uh, pounding through the hills it uh, looks, looks like down there around Mulholland or somewhere, but uh, some beautiful yeah. hillside driving there. That uh, was Angela's uh, Crest, I think. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, the famous road. So very cool. Well, this is exciting. I'm very excited you got my attention. I'm glad you shared this with our listeners. Up next, Chuck, is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah sponsors. When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street. And track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made in the USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new ADS2 carburetor and innovative Pro Flow 4 EFI for your muscle car or truck, to superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit Edelbrock.com to check out the latest products for your ride. And when you're ready to check out, enter Cars Yeah in the coupon code and get 10% off your order. That's at com. Okay, Chuck, we are back, and I have a bit of an introspective question for you. If you woke up tomorrow and you were manifested as a car, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would Chuck be and why?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I hope it doesn't have to be a real car. Um, we've seen, or a production car. So, you know, we've seen these uh, flying car prototypes there's a number of companies that try to put these things together and you can drive them on the street and you can strap some wings on them or they're set up with some uh hel- helicopter type propellers and they can fly as well and uh i think i see myself as a flying car prototype um,
0: oh i like
1: it yeah and i think the reason is that those cars are kind of versatile you know they can do a lot of different things uh, they can fly they can drive but they're not particularly great at any one thing, right? So they're not—they're not optimized as cars. They're not optimized as airplanes. Uh, they do everything a little bit pretty good, but uh, they're not really great at anything. And I, I guess I—I I see myself as that.
0: <laughs> well, you do live down there in Silicon Valley, where the traffic is a little uh, crazy at times, so they'd be perfect for that. But that's a very unique answer to that question. Uh, I did have a guest on recently who uh, said he wanted to be a rocket ship, uh, <laughs> so that was kind of cool. But uh, that's very unique answer but i can see why you answered it that way thanks for giving that some thought sure well next up is the last lap i'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that uh, flying car throttle so here we go what's the best automotive advice you've ever received
1: you know the best advice i've ever gotten is uh in terms of buying porsche cars is to buy the top model of whatever whatever is available at that time. Now, mind you, this is the best advice I didn't take most of the time, uh, either because uh, it didn't sound like such a great idea or I didn't have the financial resources to do it but boy, that certainly has uh, proven to be smart if you look at uh, the top models have generally either not only have they not depreciated but they've often appreciated in value in a big way yeah, so that's that's been some great advice.
0: Let's go a little further with this. I know this is a little bit of a lightning round, but you you got my attention here so if I said, buy a new Porsche today, which one would you pick?
1: Right now, uh, GT2 RS.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> right to the top. Yeah. The most expensive line item on their build sheet, for sure.
1: Well, I mean, did I have to pay for it? You didn't say I had to pay for it, right?
0: Well, I'm going to buy you a car a little later in the show, so we'll talk about it then. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, that's that's been the case, too. The challenge with Porsche is every year, it's just the prices just keep ratcheting and ratcheting and, you know, some of those years I've gone, okay, I can go buy a brand new one. I've always wanted to go spec one and buy it the way I wanted. And then, you know, my wife, the logic in the house would say, well, you know, the kid's college is coming up, right? Or, you know, or this, we want to add on to the house. or and So, you know what? I've just always bought used Porsches, which have been much more financially profitable for me, quite honestly, because they've value or increase in value rapidly over the seven, eight, ten years I've had them, including this Turbo. I bought it 10 years ago at the bottom of the market, and look where it is now. So, uh,
1: Well, the prices on these used ones over the last 10-plus years have just gone up astronomically, so you yeah. you came in at a really good time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How about a resource? There are so many these days. Is there one you'd like to share?
1: You know, this uh, this is really nuts and bolts, literally, uh, but there's there's a place that we, a supplier of ours, which is just, I think, incredible, and it's, I know they're quite well-known, but uh, McMaster Car is uh, that, boy, they are an industrial supply house and they have everything. And I can't tell you how often I'm placing orders at 6.15 p.m. at night and the stuff is showing up the next morning by 9 o'clock for us. And, boy, these guys just do a great job. And so for anybody who works on cars or designs products, wow, what an incredible resource.
0: It's just a fun website to go look at all the cool stuff, stuff you don't even know you want or need, but it's just cool. Oh, yeah. They got everything. Yeah. McMaster Car, great sight. How about if I could wave my magic wand and arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased? Who would it be?
1: You know, it would be Bruce McLaren. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, what a guy who had just an incredible career, however short it may have been. You know, he he built that company, was an accomplished driver, accomplished engineer, and you know, I think he I think he died when he was like 35-ish or so, mid-30s.
0: Pretty young, yeah.
1: Incredible that he accomplished that much so young. Would Would love to have had a chance to meet
0: him. Would you not love to bring Bruce back and show him where McLaren is today? Oh, no uh, kidding. And specifically their F1 program, uh, the facility, what was happening at that facility, and you know, regardless of what years they're successful or not, would love to be able to have him see this. Like, be like Henry Ford coming back and seeing the new Ford GT. Yeah, you know, I was like, "Whoa, what is that?" What is that? <laughs> Talk about space flying spaceships. Uh, how about a book? Chuck, is there a book that you've read that you'd like our listeners to read as well?
1: Yeah, this one is uh really outside of the automotive space, but um it just it really it, I I couldn't put it down once I started reading it. It's the book by Walter Isaacson, Jobs about Steve Jobs. Yeah, it was just for me, it was just a page turner. Again, you know, I came from the high-tech industry, so I remember so many of the events uh, that were relayed in the book when I was in that space and kind of peripherally paying attention to it. But, you know, here was a guy who had accomplished so much in his career. Yet, as you read the book and the trials and tribulations, you realize his success was, was not a straight line. He had his ups and downs and, you know, he's very, uh, very human with a lot of personal failings and, and setbacks and such. You know, when you when people think about what he accomplished, it's really amazing. But you realize that he was, he was a person, right?
0: Well, he lost his company. For a while there. Yeah. I mean, he was kicked out of his own company by a guy that he hired to run his company. I mean, y- y- you stop and think about those things. But yeah, incredible book. You know, people saw the movie, but the movie was really worthless compared to the book because uh, they just Walter dives into stuff that's pretty deep. But uh, yeah, he's he's one of those guys. He, he like Elon Musk to me uh, and some others that I just hold in really high esteem because I think they're aliens or something. They operate at a different level. Absolutely, uh, the, the way they think about things in the future, uh, it's almost to be a scary place to get into their heads. Well, you can find all these links that Chuck has shared with us today on his Cars Yes yeah, show notes page. Just type Chuck Moreland into that search bar and that page will pop right up. All right, Chuck, now I get to buy you a car. All right. This last question is a bit of a doozy, but there are some rules to this game. Otherwise, it'd be too easy. You can't sell this car to buy a bunch of other toys with. It's got to be a keeper. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed. And it's the only cool collector-type car you can have in your garage. So what can I buy you?
1: It would be a Porsche 73 RS, 911 RS. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. That would be the go-to. Yeah, the holy grail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, those air, early air-cooled Porsches, you know, that's the car that I uh, originally fell in love with. And that's what really brought me into uh the mark and uh, they're just so the cars are so special and engaging the air cold cars are so much fun to drive and the 73rs is really sort of the ultimate expression of that at least from a factory version you know if i if i had to have one car that i got to drive all the time and money wasn't a part of the equation that would have to be it
0: lightweight or touring uh lightweight lightweight okay kind of figured yeah get a little raciness in there well they are spectacular cars and uh for those of you out there that aren't Porsche nuts like Chuck and I, that really is the early holy grail of cars uh, for Porsche 911s because they made so few, they were so special, and uh, they become very, very, very expensive, especially the the uh, lightweight models. I have a friend that just sold a Turing model and uh, did quite well with that car. It was He actually got to take it on the lawn at Pebble about four years ago and got wow. a trophy. Oh, yes, aren't they nice if we'd only known to buy maybe 10 of those about 25, 30 years ago. But uh, like so many other things, you probably would have been better with some uh, stock like with Google or some of these other companies, Amazon, to do just as well. Absolutely. 73 RS Carrera, very nicely done. I'll get to work on that for you, Chuck. You've taken us on a great ride today. Really enjoyed getting to know you better, learning more about this new company, Vonin, and of course, Elephant Racing. You know, I have to say, Elephant Racing, that's a, a brand that being in the Porsche world as I am, I've heard nothing but great things about, quite honestly, just over and over. And if you want to do stuff with suspension with early 911s, uh, yeah, elephant racing has always been said the way to go. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the, the California mountains in that 73 RS Carrera? Uh,
1: oh, I wish I could. I wish I could. Yeah, I, I think uh, this being just be a little introspective. If you do the same things as everybody else, you'll end up with roughly the same results. So try something different.
0: Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow you and your company and what you and your team are doing these days?
1: So the best way, uh, we've got two websites, com that's V-O-N-N-E-N.com, and elephantracing.com, spelled exactly like it sounds and uh they're you know obviously following the respective different companies uh and suspension versus the performance hybrid system. Yeah. Now, of fantastic. course we have our social media
0: accounts you can access them all through
1: those websites.
0: Okay. Vonen, where would the name come from?
1: Vonin is the mythical uh viking ship, the uh, first one that had sails and oars ah. and hence The hybrid addition to the combustion engine.
0: I like it. I always love to learn about origins of brands and so forth. So nicely done, my friend. Well, Chuck, thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Great, thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me... On the CarGat yeah! TV show, it's a weekly visit to some of my past CarGat yeah! podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, CarGat yeah! TV is making its mark. CarGat yeah! TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV, Fubo TV, FiOS by Verizon, or you can stream it through. Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun.